Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Karen O'Donoghue and I'm an author, a journalist and a person with a shared ownership in a pair of leather trousers. Joining me is author and the most beautiful Walsh sister of all, Louise O'Neill. <laughs> who, sorry, who do you share the leather trousers with? <laughs> oh, in, yes! I was like... Have you read like, this book? I have, I literally, it just dawned on me there, but in my head I was like... The fuck is she gonna? Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. It will all become clear once we continue with this podcast. <laughs> that literally hit me like that. I was like, "What? The shared leather trousers are like an extra character." Oh, in the it's book. so funny. That bit is. Oh my god, I still remember. Anyway, sorry. Um, I just thought it was like you were doing a play on like the Sisterhood of the Traveling. Um, oh, what it was the, what's that title called? Sisterhood it's, of the Traveling Pants. Yes, a great choice for this podcast, <laughs> and not what we're talking not about today. What we're talking about at all today. <laughs> I'm so sorry, this is a terrible, um, it's a terrible introduction to it, but I... No, I'm enjoying it very, very much. Uh, but um, as listeners will already know, because they'll have clicked on the episode expecting to hear things, uh, we're talking about Rachel's Holiday by Marion Keyes. What made you choose this book, apart from the fact that it's the best book ever written? Oh, it's so good. That opening line is just, I think, one of the best opening lines, like, ever, um, ever written. Um, it's funny, because I've been a Marion Keyes um, fan for years. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose I remember certain novels that my mom would have had around the house when I was a kid. You know, there would have been would have been like Mae Binchy and there would have been Patricia Scanlon. I remember the City Girls um, mm. uh, books. Um, and then there was Marion Keys. And I think, I'm trying to remember when the first one came out. I think it was the, um, the mid-90s. But um, I remember reading Watermelon and being like, oh, this is really funny. Like, it felt very yeah. fresh and sort of different. I mean, it was only about, like 10. But at the mm. time, it felt very fresh to my 10-year-old eyes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this Keys woman has something. She really. I think she's going to go far. Um, <laughs> I was the same. I was. About, I was kind of a preteen, and I read Watermelon as well. And yeah. I remember, and like we have this in the episode, but I remember feeling like it was the first time I had seen Irish middle class suburbia rendered. Yes. Yeah, and and I suppose as well, her voice is so like distinctive, um, and the books are just really funny. Um, and I remember reading all of them and just loving them. She was, you know, there's there's a few authors. Um, Marion Keyes is one and actually Margaret Atwood um, is probably the other and Curtis Sittenfeld is another one that whenever they have a new book out I'm there on like the day mm. that it is released in the bookshop determined to get it. you know the ones I'm like oh I might pick that up or I'll yeah, order that yeah. from the library or whatever but that I was like in there with my money like you know ready ready to buy <laughs> exact change yeah exactly um, and I suppose I remember when I first read um, Rachel, I, Rachel's Holiday I, I don't really remember it like I remember being like oh this is brilliant and you know this is a really poignant story but I reread it um, when I was in um, St. John of God's, um, when I, I was there with, um, I'd had anorexia, um, bulimia, um, and I was hospitalised when I was 21. And I remember I was reading it, um, and there's this scene in the book where, there was two scenes actually that I suppose that really struck me. Um, and the first one is where she's taking um, cocaine by herself. And I remember thinking, God, it's so weird because, you know, like in college and stuff, you know, everyone, be, you know, you'd be messing around with things. Um, mm. I probably shouldn't say that um, <laughs> on on a podcast. Um, but um, and you would never 
you would never do that by yourself. Like it was always something yes. at a party or with other people. And I remember thinking, God, that's so strange that she would do that by herself. Or that's a really sort of an addict behavior. Mm. And then there was this moment where I realized that when I would binge or when I would do things like that, that, that was so secretive. Um, and the way that Rachel sort of describes you know, the going to buy the drugs and the process of handing over the money and, you know, mm. the preparation and going back to her room and doing it, that was really familiar to me. Yeah. Um, and I think it was this moment, and I was in a hospital reading this book, um, and I had this moment, I put it down and I went, oh, I'm actually an addict. Oh my God. Yeah, so it was wow. a really, I suppose it was such a strange experience reading that book in a rehabilitation centre when the book is about a rehabilitation centre, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was a really powerful, um, a really powerful moment. Um, and it was the first time that I, even even though I was in a hospital getting treated for this eating disorder, it was the first time I think I ever really admitted it, that to myself because of that book. And I suppose the book as well is so about... Because the, um, the, the sort of the, the masterfulness of the book is that mm. you start the book and it's uh, this girl, Rachel, and she's just been admitted to a uh, rehab centre, the Cloisters, because of her overdose. And we're led to believe that's an accidental overdose. Mm. And she's just because and because you're a young person reading it. You're like, oh, everyone takes drugs. Nobody understands. Her Dublin parents don't get. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Coke is normal now. Grow up, kind yeah. of thing. And then you, by degrees, realize yeah. in the book that she is a full blown addict. Yeah. And that, I mean, you, you hear about, you, you learn about unreliable narrators when you're doing To Kill a Mockingbird in primary school. But to me, this is one of the best deployments of the unreliable Absolutely. narrator I've ever yeah. seen. Because it's so gradual, I suppose, the unraveling of that point of view, both for Rachel and um, and for the reader um, as well. And I suppose you see that with the the other characters as well. You know, there's a character called Neil um, who his father was abusive um, and he has become abusive um, and he can't connect those two things that he has yeah. sort of, I suppose, that he's perpetuating this cycle of violence in his own family because all he ever wanted was to be the complete opposite of what his father had done. So it's really, it's just such an interesting... It, it's just, I suppose, it's funny because I haven't read the book in years. Um, I haven't, God, I'm trying to think. I'm, yeah, I mean, I've, I probably haven't read it since that time in hospital. So that's like 13 mm. years ago. Mm. Um, and reading it, it still felt so fresh to me and still felt, I remembered it so clearly because I think the characters were all so well developed. Um, and they, you know, I suppose the, the depiction of each of those um, characters and their struggle with addiction and how that manifested itself um, and the way that they dealt with that, whether that was through denial or anger or, or frustration or, you know, or whatever, um, that just felt so incredibly authentic, actually, having gone through that myself, I suppose, and yeah. having been in a in a situation where you're in group therapy and you're having those conversations and you're watching other people, I suppose, figure some of their own issues out um, in real time. And I also, it's, I guess, did you ever have that moment of arrogance where you're like, this group therapy is for everybody else's benefit and I, <laughs> I cannot be therapized? Well, I don't know if it was so much arrogance because, you know, I, I, I knew that I had a problem. Do you know, it wasn't like with, um, with Rachel where I suppose that she thinks that hers is only, you know, that it's social. Um, mm. Because I think when you have an eating disorder, 
you you know like it's not like something that you're like oh I'm only you know I only binge and um, purge on a, on a social level because mm. no one like you know the difference between how normal people um, eat and how normal people are around food and yeah. the way that you are and there's a secrecy attached to that which I think isn't when it comes to things like I suppose recreational drugs or drinking you know that I think that there's a kind of a veneer of respectability um, mm. over that um, and I could talk about addiction all day because. I, I just listened I'm going to go a little bit off point here now but sure. I just um, I just listened to a really great um, interview with um, Gabor Mate who's an expert um, in addiction um, and that they're really reframing the way that they look at um, addiction now um, and he would say that you know some are more socially acceptable than others that you would look at something like someone who smokes um, a packet of 20, you know smokes 20 um, cigarettes a day and then someone who takes heroin every day mm. um, and obviously we would see one of those things as a bad habit and one of those things yeah. as a life destroying um, addiction but he said actually if you look over 20 years if you look at the health um, and the physicality of both of those people the person who smoked 20 cigarettes a day will actually have more harm done to their body mm. than a person who's taken heroin um, every day the danger with that is that there's always a risk of overdose which isn't with cigarettes yeah. but I think it's just interesting I suppose the way that we frame addiction how we contextualise um, yeah absolutely things, yeah. so I knew that you know the way that I behavior and food was not normal but I think that when I I remember being in group and I I think it wasn't an arrogance I think it was a I I I sort of looked down which is so hilarious because that's the reason why you're in group therapy but I think I was a little bit like oh these people love talking for themselves (laughs) (laughs) so I would you know there was always going to be you know they really really and like they they were dead right because they were getting the most out of and did you have that sense of like you're not gonna I'm I'm gonna be the tough nut to crack yeah well more like you know they would have really had to kind of ask me a lot of questions you know I would have never volunteered you know I would have really I suppose Mm. I was 21 as well and I thought it was way too cool for all of this you know and and I kind of just I don't know I think I was a bit like god talking oh my god they never stop going on and on and on oh my god um but i also think that when you're in a situation like that other people just really like which she which is so good in the book because you know she talks about and you know because obviously she's coming down um and she's you know she's on her last nerve you know and like just the 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 fury that she feels with the way someone who's sitting next to her is eating or the way that you know the well thank god we didn't have to share rooms that when i when i was reading this book i was like shivers but you know the 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 person that she's sharing a room with jackie yes um with you know ch not a j um and uh the the way she wants to talk on it you know and she's just ready to kill all of them Um, and that's very true and i suppose what's brilliant about um rachel as well which i think i hadn't it's funny, I didn't recognise it at the time. And it's only now when I when I reread it um, recently, I really recognised the behaviour of people pleasing and wanting all of them to like her and kind of wanting to give the best impression of herself um, and, you know, wanting to make sure, I suppose manipulate really, mm. um, manipulate the other um, inmates <laughs> into, yeah. I suppose that she wanted to manip- manipulate them into thinking about her in a certain way. Um, I could definitely recognise that from the way that I was when I was um, in St. Anna Gods, but I didn't I didn't recognise that at the time, but I thought that was really skillfully done as well because that's such a tenant, I think, of addiction is this feeling of worthlessness um, and, you know, wanting to, I suppose, wanting people to love you because you feel so intrinsically unlovable mm. that the only way that you can feel as if maybe you are worthy of that love is if if it's coming from other people like you know an internal sort of sense of 
sense of, of mm. self-love would just be completely worthless because anything that would come from you, you or yourself would be worthless um but yes i think that that's really marion just does that so beautifully in the book as well and what's interesting actually you know what, i'm going to do a quick plot summary just so yes. i think most people because this is one of the books that people have asked for the most oh no way it really has and i think it's and they're like now they're probably time. listening going and now we have to listen to louise o'neill talk about addiction <laughs> like, can we talk about the book <laughs> no i think no i think it's all linked because and i think one of the reasons why this book is as popular and as requested as it is is because it's one of the few books that deals with female addiction mm. and i don't think women are used to seeing their addiction stories like we're we're so used to seeing addiction within the framework of like your hunter s thompson's mm. and these very very masculine stories and like what i find so interesting about female addiction stories is because so much of the addict experience is like I don't give a fuck what people think I'm just gonna go into my k-hole and just abuse myself and it's all it's a kind of romanticness of the outlaw Mm. but then so much of the experience of being female is about uh, having people look at you mm. and wanting to be looked at and wanting for that image to be the right thing and I think when you get female addiction stories you get those two things completely mm. in combat mm. which is why it's so unique mm, that's true that's a really good point um, I'm going to do a quick uh, plot summary just for people who haven't caught up Rachel Walsh is a 20-something living in New York and has a fondness for men, shoes, and recreational cocaine. She accidentally overdoses. Her family bring her back to Dublin and admit her to the Cloisters, Ireland's answer to the Betty Ford Clinic. It's here where Rachel is forced to confront the reality of her addiction, uh, take responsibility for her destructive behaviour, namely with her ex-boyfriend Luke and her best friend Bridget. Despite the lessons she learns in the Cloisters, this doesn't stop her from dramatically relapsing and forcing to piece her life together once again. What I really love is how the roots of Rachel's addiction mm. are slow, really, really slowly unwrapped throughout mm-hmm. the novel. Um, so I think it begin, you kind of sort of take for granted that she's like, okay, she's a bit of an insecure 20-something. She's in New York. She loves going to parties. She's fallen down a rabbit hole of mm. using cocaine and fallen with the wrong crowd, or so to speak. And then we get back, we kind of keep peeling back these layers and layers, and you get back to eventually Rachel at three years old mm. uh, just unhappy that she her it, it kind of gradually tells the story of her little sister Anna um, is born her mother suffers from postpartum depression her father uh, just, her grandfather had just died her grandfather yeah. had just died as well her father had to go to Manchester basically all these things happen uh, that happen in any normal family mm. um, and, and often in Irish families don't get spoken about and mm. just get sort of run over um, and the young 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 Rachel internalizes all these things as she as she kind of internalizes it as the following I was mean to my little sister my mother is now crying all the time my father has gone away mm. I am responsible for all of this yeah. thing and she's completely calcified that mess and then just like built that on top of her and and her therapist is saying to her like you were a three-year-old child. There's no way that could have been your fault. You simply weren't that important. And Rachel's like, I was that important. How dare yeah. you? <laughs> and it's like that, that thing of like where sort of narcissism meets complete self-hatred. Yes, yes. And I think it is that... Um, and they, the therapist, um, Josephine, I think, um, says that, doesn't she? It's like where ego meets low self-esteem. Mm. Um, and that's kind of the... The crux, I suppose, of the um, of of Rachel's um, addiction, but it is it's just it's 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 masterful actually, um, and I think the one of the one of the things that I think is so brilliant about Marion's books um, is that they they deal with such important issues, um, and I think 
things that really directly impact you know women and women's lives um, and then she writes about them in such a way that is really funny and accessible um, and, and, and just with a lightness of touch yes, and a specificity it's, yes it's very deft you know yeah. um, so you never feel like you're kind of being hit over the head with it um, and I think it, what's so important about her work is that you know it, I think it's 38 million or something now you know that um, copies of her books have oh sold world, worldwide so it's 38 million probably mostly women you know who are reading about addiction or body image issues or domestic violence or rape or alcoholism or depression or you know and I think that's what's so incredible um is that her voice is so important because she's she is being read by so many people you know that she's amplifying I think these stories um in such a in such a huge way and it is also it's like and these women are so and it's such a, cl- uh, a cliche within this genre of like, oh, she's a gal just like you. She loves shoes and she's yeah, insecure yeah, yeah. about her weight. But I think what it does to you then is like, you care so much about the Rachels and the, you know, the Claires and all of the Walsh girls so much because they are just sort of ordinary girls um, that it kind of does the thing of you. If you're reading a 700 page novel about a girl like you who has addiction and it matters mm. or a girl like you who has is in a domestic violence relationship and it matters mm. you slowly begin to realize what thing the things that happened to me also matter mm. you know and i think that's what marion is so fantastic at it's mm. like our lives are not these trivial things and our like we can be funny but like joke like just sort of kicking dirt over your psychosis with a joke or with a ah sure you know me I, I love a bit of cocaine me kind of thing <laughs> is not is not dealing with things oh, you know yeah. um yeah and it's just I suppose you can really see with with Rachel you can see how this would have happened you could you know that I suppose that she was probably someone who was quite vulnerable you know that she was a child who was very sensitive and then circumstances kind of outside of her control and then the family that she was born into and and then I suppose going to live in a city like New York where it is very easy I mean I've lived in New York as well Rachel mm. is me basically there's a lot of touch points yeah. for you in this novel yeah. <laughs> yeah um and I suppose it's such an easy city to buy into that some people are more important than others or that um it's you know the how you look or how Something much money Rachel you have. completely buys into yeah absolutely and absolutely and it's easy to do that because you know even if you're someone who I think isn't hasn't got an addictive personality or isn't very insecure like it is the sort of I suppose because everyone is you know she talks about that you know where that it's really hard to find a man because every woman is sort of like a supermodel and they're like oh you know I'm a quarter Italian and a, yeah. and a third this and you're like that is actually very true um, <laughs> and um, and I suppose every you know it's like everyone's really has a lot there's a lot of money and you know the clothes are beautiful and there's it's just you know celebrity and you know that, that's so celebrated as well and I think that you can just see how I suppose with Rachel it's like a perfect storm of all of these different vulnerabilities or you know like frailties that that like any addiction that it's not a you can't kind of point to one thing and mm. say this is the reason that it's kind of it's a combination of um many different it's very multifaceted it's kind of a, it's a combination of many different um factors which is why sometimes with treatment like i think that it's really important to also take a multi sort of disciplinary um, approach to the way that you're going to treat addiction because in yeah. the same way that it's not just one thing that's caused it which you can see so clearly with Rachel in this book you also can't there's not just going to be just one thing that's going to kind of um, 
cure it as well. I think there's a, there's yeah. a few different things that you kind of have to look at. The, just as there's sort of many ways to treat addiction and many ways it can begin, what I love about this novel as well is that it shows the different ways uh, addiction manifests in different sort of class systems within Ireland kind mm. of thing. We get such a comprehensive view because Ireland is a country so associated with addiction. Mm. And we get... Like very towards the beginning of the group sessions that they have in this novel and they're punctuated throughout with basically different members of her little gang in the cloisters kind of being put on stage and these mm. people who we kind of accept as being oh there's your man and he loves to eat Mars bars and he plays you know Scrabble or something in the rec room then we get, they get completely torn to shreds mm. and exposed in these group situations and we start with someone like um, John Joe who is, I know, he absolutely upsets me so much. I know. And he's just this much older man, and it's your classic, classic Irish addiction story. Yeah. And it begins with like, oh, sure, you know, you'd be lonely up in the farm now, and you'd have the drink, and da-da-da. And Rachel's almost bored, because she's like, oh, this is going to be one of those stories where, like, he couldn't afford to marry because his brother inherited the farm. She says, probably some Irish economic reason that he's a drunk. (laughs) Which is so true. And then it's sort of like... Unfurled into this like really like I know poignant story about him being gay essentially yeah yeah Yeah. and I think it's it really yeah because I remember that being a real surprise because you said you're just not expecting it because he's I think he's well into his sixties you know um and oh it's just a thread that runs through the entire book is this idea of you know you're only as sick as your secrets um Mm. and so many of them have kept you know I suppose really important parts of their lives secret in the same way that John Joe you know just didn't feel able to express that part of himself having yeah. grown, grown up in a very rural area that you know I suppose I doubt there was a huge like gay scene in whatever yeah. you know, like <laughs> West Mead or whatever wherever he was you know <laughs> he was from and then he really felt like he had to deny that and yeah. I think when you when you deny such a primal just vital part of yourself you know that like that has to I suppose manifest yeah. itself in in some way you know and again it's this complete lightness of touch because I think the therapist Josephine asks him to say something like tell us a story about your father and he tells us like really this pure farmer story about like <laughs> accidentally killing a pig or something yeah. <laughs> and then he's like oh and my dad put me up on his shoulders or something like that and she's like and how did he feel and she's like strong and I felt very protected and then he and then it kind of goes on to like and how do you feel when you're with men like and they, they feel strong and I feel very protected and then it's just like there's like a beat of silence within the room as the whole room realizes this, what's what's the deal here what's and, happening yeah and it's never completely like I just feel he's never betrayed by the book mm. it's never like played for laughs and mm. it's just like it's this incredibly tender little story. Mm. Um, and then there's just so many other characters who have similar kinds of stories. Mm. And then you've got at the other end of the sort of social economic spectrum, you get someone like Jackie, who is like this complete, like notionsy, upper middle class sort of. Yes. Yeah. And then and then, and then you have, you know, as you said, there's um, people who are working class. And I suppose just to see the tension between, because, you know, I suppose we, we have this idea, I suppose, of Ireland, you know, being quite a classless society, I suppose, mm. particularly in comparison to our nearest neighbour. Yeah. Um, and I think that, but there is, you know, obviously, um, like there are diff- different tiers here, obviously, you know, and, yeah. and most of that is, is tied in with wealth. Um, and it's just really interesting, I suppose, to see the dynamics kind of play out um, between them. Like there's, you know, they're playing um, Trivial Pursuit, you know, that bit where yes. um, it's so funny. And one of them, um, <laughs> is it... 
Stalin? I can't remember what the, the nickname, not actual Stalin. He's yeah, not, he's not, they call him Stalin because he's got a big mustache. <laughs> yeah, and that he knows all the answers, and that the, the guy that he's playing with thinks that he's cheating, so he gets his wife to bring in a different um, trivial pursuit. Trivial pursuit, and the guy still knows all the answers. And he's like a Northsider from Dublin. Yes, and, yeah. and, that, um, and Rachel, you know, is it kind of is um, silently thinking to herself that you could just tell that he's dying to say, How do you know all the answers? You know, you're working class, but that like, he, he can't yeah. kind of come out with it I just thought that was such a a well-observed moment of a very particular type of middle-class Irish person who would have all of these ideas and preconceptions around what a working-class person should know um, and their I suppose their education and their their ability um, and that's completely turned um, on its head as well I just thought that was just it's 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 just it's only a few you know that kind of way it's just like oh so well done I think it wasn't Mark Twain, but it was someone like Mark Twain who said something like, um, the English have a class system and they won't stop talking about it. Yeah. And the Irish have a class system, but they won't tell you what it is. Oh, that's very really good. <laughs> I wonder who said that. That's it's a, yeah, someone analogous to Mark Twain, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. Mark Twain. Probably. I don't think he would have cared too much about the Irish, but uh, yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, one of the, there's, there's a kind of a, it's wrong to call it a love triangle. But it's a, it's a love triangle in as much as we're living in a flashback with Rachel half of the time and in the present day mm. in the other half of the time. And in the flashback, she's very much concerned with her boyfriend, Luke. Mm. I love Luke. He's so, he's, but who's like, what an interesting character because he's kind of a sexy loser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's, oh, I love him. But it's just, well, I, can, I mean, I can understand because... Like, they do sound ridiculous. Like, you know, yeah, he's the, like, why do you keep making fun of my friends? And I'm like, well, it does sound like you. I mean, I feel like it probably would be quite easy to mock, you know, that they, they kind of sound like they're like, the way I nearly picture them is like Def Leppard or something. Yeah, you know? somewhere between Def Leppard and like Wayne's World. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And they have, as we mentioned at the beginning, they have part ownership in a pair of leather trousers <laughs> and they each have a turn wearing the leather trousers. That is so, that's so good. Um, but um, yeah, so I suppose Luke is oh he's such a he's such a great character, um, and I think it's again maybe I'm I'm not giving away too much of myself, but I really recognised that I suppose it's it's such a it's it's so brilliantly done the way like Rachel meets this guy he he's not cool. Um, he's really nice to her. He's really sexy. Like their sex is, inc- I mean, is oh some really great sex yeah, scenes like there. Really, and like sex scenes are not easy to write. No, like especially very sexy hard. sex scenes, like you know that are actually like oh, this is kind of hot. Like that's yeah. even more rare to be honest. But um, so yeah, so he's really they have an incredible um they have incredible chemistry, and it's such a kind of a push pull. And like when he is when he's kind of pulling away, like because Rachel has been awful to him, like. And she's awful. awful. Oh my god! Like awful. And I mean, it's 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 you know you can you know that it's part of the addiction, and you know that this isn't you know her. But like some of the ways that she treats him is, like do you know that bit where he comes over and that guy Daryl, who's just such a creep, is there. But mm. she Daryl is she thinks is more impressive. You know, he's got this. Well, what she thinks is quite a a cool job at a publisher. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, Luke says, "Oh, what's he doing here?" And she says, "Oh, just pretend you're my brother." 
Like, it's just like your heart would need to be oh like ripped out of your chest. And the fact that he, and it's weird because at the beginning of the novel, when she has this failed suicide attempt, um, Luke kind of walks in and he says, he says to her, you're not the person I thought you were. And he breaks up with her. And as the reader, you're like, if your girlfriend just tried to kill herself. Yes, he's being really harsh. You think he's being incredibly harsh. Yeah. You're like, like, I'm like, you're well shot of him. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's a jerk. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose he just goes through and like, he's just, he's really kind to her. Like he's really, and they have so, like they have just this, they get on so well. Like you could just tell this is the sort of couple that would be, best friends you know yeah. while also having this insane like sexual um chemistry and so when she's horrible to him and he pulls away then she gets really anxious and she's kind of trying to win him yeah. back and then as soon as and it's just oh and it, it's that part where she talks about when he's really lovely to her that she feels nearly revulsed by him and i was like oh god i just know i just know what that's god. like so familiar like, like has that been your reaction in oh 100 um and I've talked about this, um, but like my current boyfriend, um, he was just the most, well, I'm just genuinely like, I know like hashtag best, but like he is just the best thing that's ever happened to me. But at the beginning of our relationship, um, and I thought I was, you know, I had been in recovery and I thought I was doing really well. Mm. I actually really struggled with, um, I, I realized that I felt very uncomfortable with someone being very kind to me. Um, and that I actually I had been in sort of I wouldn't even call it a relationship but something else kind of previously where the person was very emotionally unavailable um, and I never knew where I stood and I just I was I was upset I couldn't stop thinking about him and you know I just because he would never ring or you know that you mm-hmm. know and I just mm-hmm. was I just was so fixated on it I think um, and I realized at the start of the relationship that I'm in currently that it was because I felt more comfortable in that situation because mm-hmm. anyone who would it's a bit like you know um what's that uh what's that quote you know i don't want to be a member of a a club that would have me as a member type yeah, thing, you know? yeah. yeah so it was this sensation of well what's wrong with this person if he wants to be with me oh my God, um yeah. and i also think that with someone who had no interest there was a part of me that was like this person sees the truth of who i am they know that I'm not worthy of being loved. So if I can persuade this person to love me, then I can believe myself that I'm worthy of being loved. Um, and I thought she just, that, that's, you can see that dynamic with Rachel where that when he's, when he's being loving and kind, she, she actually feels like nearly like a physical sense of like mm. revulsion. Um, and she, it's a bit like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Like, why? Like, she's to Luke. Like, why would you? You know, mentally think like it's, mm. she doesn't actually say this to him, but I think she's silently like, why would you? And she's so obsessed with um, impressive people. Yes, and she's always hanging out with people who are working in like inter- interesting quote unquote jobs and yes. people who are really good looking. And she, all she cares about is going to like great parties and stuff. That it's sort of his interest in her compounds her belief that. He is not a member of the set that she so desperately wants to yeah. be in. Yeah, and they're all awful. All yeah. the people that she's because um, I was like at least when I was in New York and the people I was hanging out with were really glam and beautiful, but they were actually genuinely nice people. So yeah, like, these people are fucking bitches like Helenka and uh, Jessica, and you know, just really mean and 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 awful. And I think part of her, I think that if they had been nice to her again, she would have just had no time for them whatsoever yeah. because that's how she she treats herself um, as well. Um, and there's also this scene with Luke that I thought was just incredible where they're they're sitting down, they're, they're watching, I think, a movie and they're having a really good night. And then all of a sudden she just has this really strong urge that yeah. she's like she needs to take coke. And 
the more like he had he goes from being her companion and they've you know that she feels really comfortable and cozy with him to being like this obstacle in the way of her getting what she needs to get you know mm. to have it's just to, to satisfy that craving so she tries to go you know she's like oh, i just have to go and he he feels really confused and he's like i don't i don't understand i thought we were having a really nice night and, and yeah. she leaves in, you know straight away and that is really familiar i think to anybody who has yeah. had any sort of addiction because it can come upon you and you just it's it it really is such a barrier in the way of having any sort of really close relationships because you know it's very difficult if people are like oh do you want to go away for a weekend and mm. you're like oh i would like to go away for a weekend but will i have enough time to satisfy this addiction yeah. while we're away or will you want to be with me all the time will we be sharing a room and how will i cope with that will i start getting really irritable yeah. And angry with you and will that kind of create friction through so it's just this constant thing that you're trying to sort of navigate throughout your whole entire life and it really limits the the choices you make and the things you do and the places you can go um it, it, is, so... it is that barrier between you and other people yeah. isn't it and, yeah and, and, and true intimacy you know yeah a hundred percent absolutely you know because i think the thing is with it is that especially with these kind of relationships um, which I think you can see with Rachel and, and, um, and Luke is that she says she wants to be in a relationship and she says she wants to have a boyfriend but I don't, don't think she's actually able to have that sort of true intimacy because that would mean being honest and being vulnerable and I think those are two things that she would just never allow. And she has that sort of deep, deep sort of belief that the person that she is is kind of repugnant kind mm. of thing yeah. and that she has sort of she has managed to sort of have the sort of veneer of like being a really good laugh to be around of being funny and stuff but if you mm. get any if you get past that veneer yeah. of sociability you will find this kind of quite dark person yes and that she's, she's she feels she she's broken yeah. yeah and I suppose I mean to be fair the way she's been brought up I mean I know because I love the watches the watches are I, they're amazing yeah. but like I'd say it would be chaotic, do you know? I mean, yeah. I only have one sister, so I don't know what it would be like growing up with, like, four other sisters. Um, and her poor mother, as I say, and her poor father. You know, they're all, they're, they were, do you know, they wouldn't be, there would definitely be a need, I think, for some intensive family therapy there. Um, yeah. Amongst yeah. Um, all of them. But, Jesus, like, living with Helen alone would kill you. Like. <laughs> I love Helen, though. Oh, yeah. God. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Throughout the novel, uh, Josephine is kind of saying to her the therapist, um, 
oh no, it's down. It's it's you know a combination of the person that you are in terms of how you were born. Like she was, she kind of says in a very tactful way. Some people are short sighted. Yeah. Some people are born with very sensitive emotions. And then you were you know the kind of middle child in this growing family. And she's kind of like what? So everybody who has a little sister is a drug addict, kind of thing. Yeah. And then she kind of later on when she gets out of the cloisters which are kind of the, some of those painful chapters mm. in the book, really, mm. because she starts off with this thing of, um, you know, she's going to go to her meetings and all this, and she thinks she's grand, and she thinks she's grand, and then she relapses terribly. Mm. And she can't understand... And, and what it comes down to is sort of she can't understand why her sisters aren't as affected by their mother's kind of... Not 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 um dislike of them, but no. a kind of a, a sort of a removedness from. She, them. I think she just has, she snaps. I think you know she just she there, there's no patience with um uh, their mother. Do you know that yeah. if one of them is kind of annoying um her, she'll say it and she won't couch it in sense insensitive language. You know it'll just be like you're being really annoying. You know like there's mm. just this kind of quite a bluntness I think about the way that she speaks, um and Rachel just takes that so much um to heart um and the scenes where she relapses are are very you know they are they're very um they're very distressing um but also i think that was a really important thing to add in because relapse is a huge part of recovery actually um and for most people you know it's it's very common and you know you see people you know that have to you know go in and out of hospital you know two or three times Mm -hmm. and actually it's very hard um for the people around you because i think that every time that you relapse they believe in your recovery a little tiny bit a little bit less you know very well put yeah, yeah you know um and then i think that that makes it harder for you nearly to believe um in it as well and i think that when you're in these treatment centers you really i remember going in and being like oh i'll be fixed by the end of this three months you know like um this is it you know i'll be it'll be done and that'll be grand and i'll just go go on with my life and um and it really it wasn't well for me it wasn't like that at all um and i think that what's that's what's really effective and I, i suppose i remember that line that her sister says to her um, because Rachel is so distraught when she wakes up um, in hospital after having um, after having relapsed, um, a, a and very upsetting relapse. Yeah, so yeah, she, like it was a really rock bottom type of like goes to like the worst pub in the world. Yeah, finds a teenager to buy. Yeah, like it, it's just it's it's so because I suppose and actually I think there's something about that that is so important because. At the start, I suppose, the way that Rachel sees her addiction, the way that she sees her drug taking is it's quite so glamorous. It's in New York glamour, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, and it's like, this is really cool, and when I take it, I feel fabulous, and, you know, and other people are taking it, and it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's fine, and they can take it, and it's, mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus, I mean, I was well, going to yeah, say, no. I sound like, but, you know, I think it's a bit like alcohol or food, you know, the way some people have issues on it, with, with these things, and then other people can... Mm-hmm you know drink and they can you know take up occasionally and and, yeah. and not form addictions you know yeah. um and but you know so i think it's really different than this the the how how kind of seedy yes yeah. that's the word i was looking for it's so seedy um and you can tell that you know it isn't i suppose even at the beginning of the book it's still portrayed as i'm doing it for fun you know i'm doing mm. it to have to enjoy myself whereas there's nothing about this is not the reason why she's going out and she's looking for drugs when she relapses is not 
um, about having fun or it is not yeah. about you know going out on a night in New York you know dressed to the nines in her Alaya dress and you know looking fabulous it is about that she wants to obliterate herself she does not want to feel the pain yeah. that she's in which is really what addiction is about anyway it is a it is a pain like it is a painkiller whatever yeah. your kind of substance of choice um it is a way of numbing out all of that pain um and then when she when she comes to in the hospital and her sisters are she there she gets hit by a car I yes think. She's and, so they, and they leave her and yeah. they and the, the guys that she's with just like leave her for dead basically um and when she so when she wakes up in the hospital and you know she's so distraught because I suppose again it's that very addict kind of mentality of all or nothing mm. um, and her sister says which was something I've really kept kind of close to my heart for a long time was, she said it's like if you're, when you're on a diet and one day you go mad and eat seven Mars bars and then the next day you get up and you kind of just get back on the yeah, and yeah. I think there's a, there is an element of that where you just have to keep trying and you have to keep hoping and yeah. um, and I mean, obviously, it works out very well um, for Rachel. But I know my recovery was, you know, very up and down for years, and it's only really in the last two years, I think, um, that I, it's been a proper. Where now we can properly say, I'm well, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I think that you, but you have to keep, you have to keep hoping. It's like you have to wake up and cut the tail off every day. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But even in the worst of times, I think it was a sense of, you. I just had to keep the faith that it would come at some point because otherwise I think you know you would just give up and what's interesting about her relapse as well is that it comes directly after we haven't mentioned Chris yet Um, I don't (laughs) want to talk about him so is he too triggering for you (laughs) as a character he's just (laughs) oh god that sex scene is oh so Chris is a guy she meets in the cloisters and it's that pure thing and I've been a victim of this many times myself of like I will go into any room and like I am I am basically a married woman I've been in a monogamous relationship for five years um, and I will just look for the person to have a crush on like man, woman or beast I, will just, I need to have a crush on every someone in every room and um, she just kind of goes in she's like who is the best looking person who's my age and a man and she fixates on Chris yeah. and he's kind of been through it a few times and he kind of really um, poses himself as a sort of sage addict oh, kind of thing that's you know what honestly that is the worst part of it I think is just the fact that he's like yeah you know and he just seems like the voice of reason all the time and he seems like he really mm. has it together and he just seems so wise and he's just so completely full of which she would have seen this as if she had been in his group but she isn't in oh, his, she she was, in his group. she wasn't in his group um, which um, I think was a very good kind of narrative choice but he's just he's so he's so manipulative um incre- i mean incredibly so mm. um and she she can't see it and i think that she can't and and he i thought you know he he keeps making these jokes you know which are really suggestions you know like he'll make a joke about having sex in i don't know in the in the lower room or, or something, something. Yeah, yeah you know and we've all been there you know we've all been there with guys that have done that the you plausible know? deniability yeah. guy and you yeah. you can't say well now you would but like you know (laughs) at 27 which is the age that she is in this book I wouldn't have anyway made a big deal out of it Mm. I would have been like oh shit I mean god I don't want to seem dry I don't want to seem like I'm not a laugh yeah Yeah. exactly I mean that was the most important thing yeah (laughs) the only important thing when you're 27 (sighs) and like it's just He's he's pushing her boundaries. He's testing her boundaries to see Which is a how very addict thing to yes, do. Yeah. To see how receptive she is to it. To see if she'll say, "What do you mean by that?" Or like, "Fuck off!" Or you know, or that's a bit weird. Yeah. But she laughs. She kind of just you know, she's looking for his approval. She's not really sure what what he means by that, and she doesn't want to ask him. Whereas you know, like 
I think Rachel in in 10 years at 37 after 10 years of recovery would be mm. very much like I'm sorry what what do you mean by that yeah but she would never have said that at, at that stage you know um, but it's just really interesting to see him just kind of test her you know and it is what we were talking about earlier on it's that sort of difference between um, men's addiction and women's addiction mm. and how the way we're socialised generally genderly <laughs> a word gender like I'm amazing it isn't some kind of like fun queer website gender.ly um, yeah how yeah the gender roles that are um, pushed on us and how they interact with things like addiction mm. in that I think in my experience I've um I've had a lot of people very close to me who are addicts and who are also men and uh the 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 unbelievable manipulation that they're able to deploy mm. is very masterful and also I'm the one one very good friend who had a coke addiction for a long time and my the onus was always on me to be more interesting than cocaine oh, Jesus you know <laughs> and you could wow. see, you could see sort of his eyes flitting away and I'd be like no 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 I have a story it's about my boobs yeah. <laughs> like you know wow and, <laughs> that is like just a lot of pressure to put yeah. on someone how can you be more interesting than cocaine I mean, it's from South especially, America especially to an addict I'm like that is impossible you know yeah um, Wow, you know it's when you're when you say that it just reminds me of um you know Kat Marnell. Do you know um yes. she was the writer for um uh, yes, yes. Um, how to murder your life she was murder the, your life yes she was a writer for um Exo Jane um she was a beauty writer um with Condé Nast um I can't remember which um, publication she was with now and then she was um she came on with um Exo Jane um and she was their beauty editor and she wrote these like. She, I, I mean, I loved her. I thought she was an amazing writer. Um, but they were crazy. Do you know? Um, yeah. That word is probably a bit ableist, but anyway, you know, they were a little bit off the wall, shall we say? Um, and so she wrote a lot about addiction, and then she would write these like these rambling pieces about conditioner, and then tie in this, you know, rehab that she had gone to in in like mm. upstate New York like it, they were very they were, that gonzo internet yes, style absolutely. of writing absolutely but they were brilliant but I remember she wrote this piece um, it was after Whitney Houston died and it's it's one of those pieces I just I, I haven't been able to sort of put it out of my mind since and she talked about how you know because Whitney died um, in um, in the bathtub and she was saying that she had taken that she felt like that could have happened to her so many times because so many times that she was just out of it that she just wanted to get in the bath and kind of mm. So you know, float away or whatever. Um, and she talked about how often we don't want to discuss um women's addiction because we want the recovery story, we want the I was an addict or I was mm. an alcoholic, um, but now I'm better, you know, and I have I've I've gone through this and I've become a yoga instructor or I've you know I went to. Uh, Peru to drink ayahuasca and now I've you know I don't know opened yeah. up my own business and I have I think because uh, women's turnover. stories are so much about the before and after yeah absolutely yeah. and we're only interested in the after you know we don't want and I think what she was saying was that there is still a merit in you know women should be allowed to be messy um, and in the same way that men are allowed to be um, are, are, I suppose they're allowed to express that part of themselves or they're allowed to talk about their struggles in that way that I think that women aren't but we see that all the time like if you look at the way that a like um Amy Winehouse like the Mm. way that Amy Winehouse was treated and framed in the media was very different to the way say someone like a Kurt Cobain was you know um we see we I think excuse um addiction in in men particularly men that we think are geniuses yes yeah um and in women 
because we want women to be well behaved um, yeah. and to be nice and to be tidy and to take up I think a lot less space in the world we're not as interested in, in allowing them the messiness of addiction unless mm. it's something like anorexia mm. or something like that where the we that will silence them um and i think that we we sort of think that's okay for for women you know and i mean i saw that even when i remember when i was going i went to a couple of different places to before i went into john of god's um and i went to a center which i think the cloisters is actually um is based upon just to you know but i, I wasn't um i was too thin um you have to be like they can't legally take you um if you're under a certain weight because um like you need to be in a hospital do you know that kind of yeah. as in you're you're at too much of a risk they're oh like gosh. we can't we can't take you because you need to be able to be monitored um like with heart machines whatever sure. um wow but um yeah but i went in for a um like kind of like a where you go into a group session um and it was really interesting because there was uh two alcoholics i think there was two two drug addicts a gambling a guy who was addicted to um gambling um and there was me so i suppose i was the only person there um, for food and it was in really interesting to see the sort of mix of um it's his class again, you know, um, and I remember coming out and there was a, my, my mother looked really frightened because I remember she was sitting there and these, there were these two guys and I think they were from inner, um, inner city of Dublin talking about heroin or something and, and she just, she was like, I can't leave you in here. And mm. I remember when we went to St. John of God's, which was, um, you know, it was an e- a, a special, like a, a specially designed program for eating disorders and it was a lot of sort of middle class white girls you know yeah um, and she felt more comfortable and I think you know 10 years or sorry 13 years on the conversation that we would have had would be very different now and I think that we would both know more now about I suppose how we would have internalized certain ideas around class like if she said something like that and like now I would be like that's really problematic and mm. I think she would be more of aware of that now mm. but that was definitely something that she was like I feel more comfortable with you being here because anorexia is seen as a, a middle class girl's illness yes, you yeah. know and I suppose it, it, there's something a bit more I mean even it's more I think I hope that's not offensive now but anyway um, I'm, because I'm trying to sort of unpick it um, and sort of unpick I suppose I think as someone who's been through it you're sort of at, at liberty to you know, yeah, but I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to say. It. You know, I don't want to be classist either. You know, um, but I think you know, it's trying to unpick. I suppose a lot of that internalized um, ideas that we have, um, and I think even with anorexia, that's very much almost celebrated. You know, there's there's a mm. sense of with people where they say, oh, "Wow, you must have incredible willpower." you know, when you're like, actually it was a yeah. compulsion, I literally could not have put anything into my mouth, you know, um, and there, there, yeah, there is a, you don't need to be on like pro Anna sites oh, yeah, in no. order to be glamorised anorexia a- because it is glamorised in every part of our society. Absolutely, and even when you see TV shows, um, you know, that are about um, anorexia, like there is a there is a kind of a, a glossy sheen over that, but you know, which is not there when you talk about compulsive overeating it is not there when you talk about bulimia mm. like you know that was because I had bulimia as well and that was incredibly shameful you know that was not something that I would have as readily because again it's messy absolutely and yeah. you know even now I've noticed that if I'm talking to someone that I don't know that well I'll say oh, I was anorexic as a teenager you know I won't say oh, I had really bad bulimia in my early 30s you know mm. I just that feels embarrassing um in a way and i think that that's because with again with women that you know 
we're sort of expected to deny certain aspects of ourselves you know that we're rewarded if we deny ourselves our hunger or our sexual desire Mm. um you know that we're seen as you know that we're being good girls if we can if we have that i suppose that you know what people say that incredible willpower and it's tied so much into everything about what being a woman is supposed to be about Mm. like even if you think of like all the Catholic female saints. It's all about starvation, yeah. self-flagellation, yeah. seeing visions because you're so fucking hungry. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, Jesus. Um, well, the, um, the Virgin Mary never came to me. I'm, I'm <laughs> very disappointed because I was a very devout child. I would have been absolutely thrilled. Um, but yeah, but I think, you know, you can see that again, I suppose, with, um, back to the book, um, Rachel's Holiday, you know, I suppose the, the sense of Catholicism is very much uh, tied through it, you know, that she wanted to be a nun yeah. um, when she was um, a child as well. Um, which I it's thought a sort was... of living in a life of extremes, isn't yes. it? And of sort of showing your purity by being able to restrict yourself from mm. things. It's quite linked. And Catholic guilt plays a big part in the book as well. Yes, um, because I suppose she's, she, shame, I suppose, you know, that she grew up in a culture, I mean, She's 27 at the time of the book and it, the book was released in 1997 so she was so she was brought up in the 70s mm. um which would have still been you know like yeah yeah very much I mean, really ardent until the 90s so it wasn't exactly there wasn't a lot of movement between 50 and 85 yeah in really. comparison I suppose to what you would have seen in other countries where you know like the 60s did not happen here you know yeah. I mean maybe they did maybe we were like but I don't think we saw too much um, too much evidence of it except for Edna O'Brien just the one woman band just doing, <laughs> doing her best um so I suppose Rachel would have been brought up in the 70s um and I think what that's very much running through the book as well is just this incredible sense of shame and the weight of that that she that she carries um and how how that ties in to addiction as well there's a brilliant passage in the book and it it does link back to it's this bit where she so she shares a room with her older sister maggie Mm. um who is the sort of as fans of the walsh sisters will know the lick arse of the family and she's so good and she's just just a nice person and everyone fucking hates her yeah i know and she um Maggie has so much self-control that she had it's September and her Easter egg is still sitting on top of her wardrobe yeah. which is such a clear image I think I can see yes. that Easter egg on top of that wardrobe I so think, clearly it's you know so funny when you when you said that to me now that is so weird because I didn't realize that I was doing it but I was visualizing that Easter egg in myself and my sister's room that we had yeah. when the first house we lived in until I was four down by Inchdani Beach my grandparents' holiday home. Um, that I can that, and I've only literally just realised now that every time I've read that book, that that's where I pictured that egg sitting winking at you. Yeah, and, but also it's such a it's such a perfect um, it's such a perfect analogy for her addiction as well because yeah. it's the compulsion and also it's the I suppose the when she goes like the lack of control when she she finally just sinks yeah. into it oh. and she's and the thing of like she's only going to eat the bits that come with the yeah. easter egg and then she ends up eating half of the easter egg and she's like do you know what I'll leave the, the front half of the shell in yeah. the thing and it's so because in the kind of cellophane where you can see through it so she'll think it's still there and it's like <laughs> the reasoning of an addict being like it's still good it's still good oh my god but also it's just such a perfect you know because as I said the symbol I suppose, of the easter egg as well yeah you know, it's exactly just... and also I suppose it's that thing of I suppose with addiction is that you don't know where to stop do you know that other people know like know the one that's one too many you know that other people know 
that's enough now. Yeah. But that you can't, like, you don't see that. Like, you kind of keep pushing beyond that, you know? And it's just so perfectly just encapsulated in that moment. The panic just oh, and then, sets in. Oh, and then what happens next? And it's, it's, again, that thing that's rendered so well in this book in particular, that child memory thing. Yeah. Of, like, so, so she's, at that point, I think she's about four, so she's not at school yet, and Maggie is at school, and she knows that when Maggie comes home from school, she's going to rat in her, she's going to be in trouble, and she's, like, quaking with the fear and the sugar rush and everything. Yeah. Just, I'm going to be in so much trouble, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And I'm going to say that it was, like, a, a thief going house to house stealing Easter. <laughs> yeah. She thinks this is, like, a really legit, it's like, way out of this, you know? And then um, they go, she goes with her mom to sort of collect the girls from school and they come back and the mom has like lost her front door key. Yeah. And then they're all sitting outside. It's like September, it's getting dark and they're waiting for the dad to come home. And like the kind of, the sense of delayed punishment is getting further and further. And she's like, oh God, they're gonna, like we're, we're sitting out here and it's terrible. And, and this is a punishment somehow, but also the real punishment is coming later. Yeah. And it just like fuses in her memory. And it's, yeah. it's so specific that I have to, it's like, I obviously I want to give, uh, novelist the credit of coming up with things but it just feels so lived in that moment yeah I'm that like, you're wondering that happened actually, yeah, I, have to, I have to ask her but actually what I think what I love so much about all the Walsh um, uh, sister books is that how each of them because I suppose you know uh, Claire is the first one and I think Rachel is the second one and up until that point the other three um, Margaret, Anna and um, Helen seem almost like characters you know not not characters mm. you know because they don't seem like but they're they're you know they're quite like I suppose in the way that you would see your sisters and like this is they have very defined roles yeah, everyone has two characteristics yes exactly yeah. you know and like that's your role and that's your role and that's your role and what I think is so brilliant about each of the books is that it completely subverts that you know like with Margaret and Paul when you when they're and one angels. And, yeah and yeah. you know it's like as if because they're the ones, you know, that, that he's tight and she's a real lick arse. And, and then yeah. you sort of see that, like, that that's not at all what they're like or what how other people outside of the family see them. Um, and Helen, which I thought was brilliantly done um, in um, the mystery of, no, what is it? The mystery of Mercy Close. Um, because she is just such a hilarious character throughout mm. the other ones. And then I just to see her struggle with um, depression um, is just... It's it's just so it's it's beautiful. It's the only word I can use to describe it because I suppose we it, it's just so perfectly encapsulate how we do tend to, particularly in family, you know, like they they call them like family systems and family dynamics. And mm. actually, when one person changes, it can be very threatening. Even if it's a good change, it can be very threatening to yeah. the other people within that system because it completely you know upends the status quo. So that that's why when you when you that's why when you're living away, let's say if you live in Australia mm-hmm. and you come Ireland. home for. Christmas yeah exactly and you come home for Christmas and you're like why am I behaving like a 16 year old oh yeah you don't recognize yourself yeah do you? because you yeah. ha- you have to that's part like you literally unless you change those dynamics you literally have to come home and play your role as this is the sort of the person that you have to be even if you're a completely different person within your work life and oh my God. within your the family as or someone the who's currently life, on a week at home <laughs> and who generally lives in London I relate very much like when I'm in London I'm a pretty together person yeah, yeah. I'm always on time like I'm pretty like you know I got my shit together yesterday I went for a drive with my mum I left the fucking boot open like, and I was like and everyone's like oh pure Caroline See? like she's a space cadet head in the clouds that's her thing I'm like oh my god you expect this from me and therefore I perform yeah. it at oh you. yeah it's, it's absolutely it's a it's a self-fulfilling um, prophecy and I just think it's it's really clever the way she kind of you know goes into each of those characters and gives them their own narrative and you see I suppose know that they're actually very fully fleshed 
um, individuals within their own within their own lives is just how I suppose they're seen through through, through their siblings' eyes is very different yeah. to how they see themselves. Yeah, it's a kind it's and it's um a way in which we never really see sisters. Like I always was very frustrated with like books like Little Women because mm. I always found them. I feel like Little Women was only just ever an excuse for girls to self-identify as Joe, <laughs> and I just find all the other characters apart from Amy are really boring. Can we talk about how Winona Ryder and Saoirse Ronan are both too beautiful to be playing right? Joe? Yes, I'm like no, 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 no. get away with yeah. it. <laughs> we need more plain actresses in yes, Hollywood. Yes, everyone looks like Lily Collins now. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. just like yeah. But anyway, I always my, think I'm looking at Lily take. Collins. <laughs> You're probably never looking at her. Poor Lily Collins. But, anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, so no. Um, yeah, with the Little Women, it's funny. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see the um, the update. I have to say, I'd be much more interested in seeing the Walsh sisters um, right? on TV. I can't believe or, that we haven't seen them. Yeah. Because the, the, the scope for the Netflix miniseries Oh on my this, God, unbelievable. One like, season un- per unbelievable. sister. Yeah, you know? so I think, I think there has been... Watermelon was made into a film. Yes, um, with... Um, Anna Friel? Yes. Yeah. Um, and um, but yeah, but I think there has been sort of murmurings about that, and I was like, oh, it'd be brilliant. But also, such a great, like, such great roles for actresses. Oh my God. Wouldn't um, you know Sarah Green? Wouldn't she be amazing as Helen? I know who she is now. Okay, um, Sarah Green. She. Well, I'm trying to think of something that you would have seen that she was in. Um, well, that's a good question, actually. How would we cast Rachel Holiday? Yes. Oh, yeah. who would I cast? No, that I have Sarah Green in my head. I think know there's a few Irish actresses, which is a bad thing. I know, I know. I suppose because automatically you go, oh, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, exactly. Saoirse Ronan. Well, Saoirse Ronan would be great um, because she's an amazing actress. I'm terrible at this. You know, it's really funny whenever, I'm sure you get this as well, when people are like, how would you cast your books? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I don't work in film. There's a reason why I write Oh, books. I always know. Do you? I, see, I always start a Pinterest um, board whenever I start oh, a new book okay. and then I, I put actors in it and I print it out. Oh, see, I usually do, I actually, it's really funny because there's, let's say with Emma and asking for it, there's a, there's a girl, um, or a woman, should I say, in Clannock Guilty who I based her physically upon and it's real because I've, I've told my boyfriend and every time we pass her he goes oh there's Emma and I've literally never said it to this um, uh, to this woman um, because I just always thought it would be really weird we need to go away soon because we've already run over time oh okay um, but before you go uh, The Surface Breaks is out yes. on paperback now yes um, yeah and I really it's uh, uh, because I, I loved the original cover but the new cover is absolutely stunning as well um, very haunting and yeah it's fab and they made me I'm sorry made me <laughs> I was. I think the reason why I said made me was I was really busy at the time they asked me to do this, and I was like, oh, grand. Um, but they they asked me very nicely um, to do a like an extra chapter um, written from the perspective of the sea witch, and the sea witch in um, well my version of um, uh, the surface breaks, which is a feminist retelling of the Little Mermaid. I just absolutely loved her. She was just such a badass and just a really beautiful fat woman who was really comfortable in her sexuality. Mm. Um, so I was really excited at the idea of writing a um, a chapter sort of written from her perspective when she's a teenager um so that is sort of the bonus uh kind Ooh, of uh, bonus, bonus yes exactly bonus content with i love the, books uh, have bonus content oh, now. No. it's like old dvd yes, menus exactly. <laughs> that is literally it exactly um so i wrote this really 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 long um extra chapters so i think it is well worth buying the paperback of the surface breaks just for that bonus chapter fab and that's out with scholastic and it's available in all good bookshops and it probably some poor bookshops yeah well. <laughs> um thank you so much louise thank you This 
This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at ZaraLine, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaraLineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com